Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. Children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. God parted the waters of the Red Sea. They passed through on dry ground. But when the Egyptians pursued after them, God brought the water back in and destroyed the Egyptian army. So free at last, and on their way to the promised land. But before they get there, a lot of things take place. The events at Mount Sinai and the giving of the law. The golden calf incident. God providing them manna and quail to eat. Water from a rock. Finally, they get close enough where Moses sends in 12 spies. Ten of them bring back a bad report and convince the people they can't take the land. They had spied out the land for 40 days and 40 nights. God's punishment, you'll wander in the wilderness one year for every day you spied out the land. So 40 years of wilderness wandering until God brings them back up on the east side of the Jordan where they can look across and see the promised land. Moses, Moses dies and God buries him in a place that no one knows and Joshua is now in command. Israel then crossed the Jordan as God caused the waters of the Jordan to stop flowing when the feet of the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the Jordan. It would have been at flood stage at that time of the year. So the Israelites crossed over into the promised land. And virtually nothing remained before the campaign for possession of that promised land would begin. War would soon be upon them. And behind the masses of God's people, the flooding Jordan would block their retreat. Before them rose the mighty walls of Jericho, her gates sealed tight, her men of war probably up on the walls of that city. Most of the Israelites had probably never seen a fortified city like Jericho. And with what we know of their lack of faith from the past, I'm sure that there was a lot of fear running through the camp in spite of all of the mighty things that God had done for them just time after time. Humanly speaking, Joshua bore all the responsibility of the leadership of these people. And it can be lonely at the top. I'm sure that he probably would have wanted to have talked to Moses at this point, but there was no Moses. He had sole authority, and so he decided to get away to pray and to meditate and to plan the conquest. So he sneaks out of the camp of Israel in the darkness to go view Jericho for himself and to seek God's guidance. In chapter 5 and verse 13, it talks about Joshua being by or beside or near Jericho. And the Hebrew word that tells us that he was near Jericho is a word that expresses the idea of immediate proximity. In other words, he was very close, maybe just outside the walls of Jericho itself. 
Maybe he could feel the oppression of the city. But he stays there in the night. He's thinking and meditating and planning and patrolling. But then his eyes being opened wide there in the darkness, he detects a movement. What he saw set his heart racing. His adrenaline probably was pumping. There stood a warrior in full battle dress. His sword was bare and gleaming blue in the moon's light. A less courageous man probably would have bolted, ran out of fear, but not Joshua. His hand was very likely on his own sword as he strode forward, calling out to this menacing figure, Are you for us? Or for our enemies? In other words, which side are you on? Ours or our enemies? Because if you're from Jericho, hey, it's sword to sword. It's man on man. Steel against steel right now. Joshua wasn't afraid. But there was no way that Joshua could have anticipated what lay ahead of him right then? He certainly didn't know that the next few minutes would become a spiritual milestone in his life. And his challenge, are, for you, are, are you for us or for our enemies, was met by an answer that put Joshua flat on his face. The answer came, neither. But as commander of the army of God, or as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. I believe, personally, you don't have to agree with me, but I believe this commander of the army of the Lord was what we call a theophany. A theophany, which is an appearance of God in the form of an angelic messenger. This was God in the form of an angel. Now, uh, there are several reasons why I believe that. For, for, first of all, what did this angel command Joshua to do? What did this person command Joshua to do? Well, take off your sandals. Sure. The very same command had been given to Moses by God from the burning bush. You remember? God had said, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, Joshua is commanded to do the same thing that was commanded of Moses. Take off your shoes. And I think he realized through that command to take off his sandals that this commander was the same God that had spoken to Moses. But not only that, when you get to chapter 6, verses 2 through 5, the commander that spoke to Joshua is identified as the Lord because it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua. And thirdly, Joshua knew not only that he was of God, but that he was God, because he wouldn't have worshipped him had he not recognized him to be God. And those are some reasons that convince me that this commander of the army of the Lord was God in angelic form, the angel of the Lord. 
Now this encounter, I believe, served to prepare Joshua and arm him for the conquering of Jericho. I think this was, he saw not only that God was with him, but God's appearance with the sword pulled from his scabbard and held ready for battle. That had to be indelibly printed on Joshua's mind. He realized God was going to fight for him. And he knew that whatever the enemy mobilized against him and the children of Israel, that would be matched and exceeded by a heavenly army. If God is for us, who can be against us? And God was for the Israelites here and for Joshua. And also this encounter with God left Joshua prepared and ready because it had fully informed him regarding what God wanted him to do in taking Jericho. Joshua didn't have to come up with the plan himself. In chapter 6 and verse 2, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. So what was the effect upon Joshua? It produced faith in him. It solidified his faith in God. In fact, I think it's a great definition of what we read in Hebrews 11, verse 1. That faith is being sure of what we hope for. What was Joshua hoping for? Victory at Jericho, right. And certain of what we don't see. But yet he had been given the opportunity to see what he couldn't see. God. In an angelic form. He was certain of that. So Joshua had incredible visual certainty because he had seen the unseen. And his conviction regarding the invisible, what he couldn't see, was going to be with him in every battle because he knew God was fighting for them. But he also had this incredible future certainty regarding what he hoped for. Namely, the fall of Jericho and the taking of the promised land. He was sure that those walls would fall. And that dual certainty just made him a great commander of his people. It enabled him to lead Israel to victory. And let me emphasize this, that just like Moses' believing parents and Moses himself, remember Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses' parents did what? Yeah, they hit him when the edict of Pharaoh said to do what? Kill all the male children. They did that by faith, it says in Hebrews 11. Same way with Moses. By faith, what did Moses do? Well, he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. So just like that, one person's faith can make all of the difference for God's people. Because as we'll see, Joshua's faith was communicated to the people of Israel. It elevated the entire nation's faith. And your faith can do the same thing. Don't ever minimize your faith. 
Your faith can elevate the faith of others, just like Joshua's did for Israel. So my faith can do that too, no matter where we're planted, no no matter where God uses us, whether it's behind a machine or a desk or a steering wheel or in a house or wherever, if we live a life of certainty regarding God's word and God's promises, we can elevate and energize others to live as they should. One person's faith can raise the level of the whole church. Right? And maybe you've never thought of that, but it can. And so that morning, as the bright rays of the sun illuminated the thousands of tents of the Israelites, Joshua knew just what he had to do. And in the days that followed, he did it. The writer of Hebrews tells us in a very simple sentence about this whole event. It says in Hebrews 11.30, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Happened by faith. And that's the key to the spiritual understanding of the fall of Jericho. The walls of Jericho fell because of the faith of Joshua and his people. His faith I believe, elevated their faith, and the walls came tumbling down. It was the greatest corporate act of faith in Israel's history, one never to be exceeded. Did the people have that kind of faith at the Red Sea? No, they cried out in fear, right? Was it because there was no graves in Egypt, you let us out here to die, Moses? That's not an expression of faith. But but, but Joshua's faith here made a difference in the faith of the nation. And as such, it gives us some lessons that we can learn. I want to mention three lessons this morning. Here's the first one, the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. The Lord himself had given explicit instructions to Joshua that demanded implicit obedience. These instructions detail the order and the conduct of this famous procession around Jericho. The precise order was, first of all, soldiers, then seven priests carrying shofars, okay, ram's horns that they would blow, those would be called shofars, then significantly right in the middle, the Ark of the Covenant, borne on the shoulders of the priests, that Ark symbolized what? God's presence was with them, then the people. And then finally, the rear guard of soldiers. That was the order that they were to go out and march around Jericho. And the conduct of this unusual procession was likewise very carefully specified. During the first six days, they were to march one time around the walls each day, maintaining absolute silence while the priests blared intermittently on their shofars. But on the seventh day, they were to maintain silence as they circled the walls seven times until Joshua gave the command to shout. Now, by any outside estimation, these instructions were ridiculous. Right? Any military advisor would never advise anything like this. I mean, just ridiculous. I mean, you don't conquer your enemy that way. You conquer the enemy how? By force. 
You bombard the city walls. You scale the walls with ladders and ropes. You, you smash in the gates with battering rams. You take their troops and you put them to the sword. You kill them. You don't take a city by priests making bad music on ram's horns. You, you don't. And what do you think those Canaanite people of Jericho were doing up on the walls when these people marched around one time in silence hearing those ram's horns. Don't you think? Don't you think they were hooting at them, you know, and at laughter and making fun and pointing and all kind of things? They couldn't believe their eyes. What fools these Israelites were. I got a sneaking suspicion there were probably some of the Israelite people that thought the same thing. But though the instructions look foolish from human logic, Israel, as a corporate body, believed. Where did this faith come from? Well, again, I think Joshua's faith had elevated theirs. But not only that, just recently, what had they done? They'd come through the Jordan River on dry ground. They'd seen that river at flood stage at that time of the year stop flowing. The waters backed up, and the rest of the waters just flowed on down to the Dead Sea. So they'd seen God at work recently, but I think even more than that, I think it was the faith of Joshua, his character, that energized them all. And as a result, Israel really did believe God was going to give them Jericho. And so when the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, by faith... By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. Is he just talking about Joshua's faith? No. He's talking about the faith of a nation here. They weren't pretending to believe. It wasn't some kind of fake faith. As they marched silently around the wall, they really did believe the walls would come tumbling down. And their faith pleased God because they were believing that God exists and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, as it says in Hebrews eleven six. Now, what evidence do we have that they did believe God? Well, the evidence is obvious. What is it? They did what he said to do, right? Obedience is the evidence of faith. It was a little after dawn, the sun had lifted above the horizon, Joshua had assembled all the elders and had given them the instructions from God. Now they're moving quickly through the camp, calling the people together. Pretty soon there's going to be this long procession that began to wind from Gilgal down to Jericho. They made their way towards that wall city in silence, broken only by the priests as they would sound the shofars. It was probably would take them about a couple hours to get there, but only about a half an hour to get around Jericho. He kept the Israelites well beyond the range maybe of any archers with bows and arrows that would have been up on the wall, but still close enough probably for them to hear the taunts of the people, the people making fun of them. But they never broke their silence. This strange parade continued this absurd procession for six consecutive days, the enemy shouting on, but I would imagine that the grim silence of the Israelites began to wear a little bit upon the Canaanites. 
Don't miss the lesson being taught here, folks. A life of faith is evidenced by a life of obedience. Obedience is the evidence of faith, even when it seems absurd to obey. Paul's comments in his second letter to the Corinthians, I think, are appropriate here. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4, he writes, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. You can say that again for these people. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. That's what Paul says. So you see, to the unbelieving mind, a Christian's weapons appear not only useless, but ridiculous. Whoever stormed a wall wearing truth for his war belt, righteousness for a breastplate, the good news for shoes, faith for a shield, salvation for a helmet, and the Bible for a sword. Where do we find that at? Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God. Those are the weapons of clowns and fools, so the world thinks. But God gives us directions in his word on how to meet our Jerichos. Instructions that are foolishness to human logic. And we have to decide, am I going to follow God even though it looks foolish? Or am I going to pick up a weapon of the world? Let me give you some examples. A man's filling out his income tax form and realizes that if he lists his extra hidden income, it'll put him in a higher tax bracket and he won't have the money to pay his taxes. He's up against a dark wall indeed, so he has a choice to make. Do what's logical, just like everybody else does, or be absolutely truthful, trusting God to take care of him. What do you do? Or a student doing poorly in class needs a B on the final exam to get into grad school, and as he's working on that final exam, he realizes it's not going to happen. He didn't prepare well enough. It's a difficult exam. But he notices that an A student sitting across from him is working in such a way that he can read all of his answers without himself being seen. What do you do? Rationalize and say, God provides? Or be a fool and fix your eyes on your own miserable failing paper and trust God to work things out as he sees fit? Or maybe you've been wronged by an enemy and now you've got the chance to get revenge and they'll never know that you did it. Everyone would applaud you for it if they knew you did it. And you know you can get away with it. But then you remember the words of Jesus. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Will you join the fool's parade and actually pray for blessing on the one that has wronged you? Or will you go ahead and get the revenge? You see, the scriptures reveal a spiritual war, right? Disobedience reveals our lack of faith. Disobedience reveals that we really don't believe God. But obedience to God reveals our faith. It's an evidence of our faith. And so when difficult circumstances come upon us, unbelief will draw from the arsenal of the world Whereas faith will cause us to take up the armor of God and join that absurd march around Jericho. 
So are there any Jerichos facing you today? Are you wavering between God's way and the world's way of meeting it? And do you believe God's word? You see, the authenticity of your faith will be determined by the weapon that you choose. The obedience of faith. But secondly, notice the focus of our faith. You see, the centerpiece of this narrative here is the golden ark of the covenant, God's presence. This, this account mentions the ark no less than 11 times. It was carried, as we noted, in the exact middle of the procession with the priest shofars blasting constantly as heralds of God's presence. That's what shofars were used for. They used them at Mount Sinai to announce the presence of God. But it was God's presence that circled Jericho those seven days. And it was his presence that would bring the walls down. And Israel believed. They, was, they were aware that God was with them and leading them. Not just pretending, not just imagining that he was there. God was really present. But he manifested himself especially through the Ark of the Covenant. And the realization that he was physically in their midst had a massive impact on the faith of the Israelites. And I think this is what we all need. A sense that God is always present with us. This is what will enable us to conquer the evil opposition that confronts us. I mean, think about it. If right now, on this Sunday morning, June 27, 2021... If right now we suddenly had the ability to see the unseen in this auditorium, what might we see? What might we see right now if we could see the unseen? You think we might see some angels sitting right here among us this morning? might see in some way the presence of God actually being here. When you walk through the doors this morning, knowing that when two or three gather together, together, he's there in their midst, did you walk in with a feeling of all that God was going to be in your presence? Or did you just come in and give that no thought at all? What would we see if we could see the unseen? And maybe we might even see angels with Bibles out listening intently. Because Peter says in 1 Peter 1.12 that even angels long to look into these things. And the writer of Hebrews says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those that will inherit salvation? So as the Israelites encircled Jericho, the Canaanites saw nothing more than a ragtag group of people carrying a golden box. But the Israelites saw the unseen. Their focus was on God. They knew God's special presence was with them. That is the focus of faith and the focus that will bring down the walls of the enemy. The focus upon God. And then lastly, there was a declaration of faith. It had to be difficult for the Israelites to maintain absolute silence during those first six, six days. Because again, I don't think the enemies practiced any restraint. And yet not one stone in the walls of Jericho had loosened. There were no cracks in the city walls yet. The enemy was far from surrendering. So it must have been a great relief when on that seventh day, Joshua ordered them to rise early, circle Jericho seven times, and finish with a great shout at his cue. And the result, in verse 15, 
On the seventh day they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around when the priest shouted the trumpet blast, sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that are in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house will be spared because she hid the spies we sent. And when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people shouted, the wall collapsed. Every man charged straight in of the soldiers, and they took the city. It was the voice of faith, a declaration of faith, the outward expression of the inward confidence in the power of God. Conquering faith declares itself. Paul writes in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it's with your heart you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. A declaration of faith. Job made a declaration of faith in Job 19, beginning in verse 25. He declared, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God for I myself will see Him. A declaration of faith. You see, the lips declare what's on the inside. What do your lips say about your faith? Had to be some shout there at Jericho. And literally the wall fell flat. If our screen was working today, I think there was a picture. Uh, in fact, if you turn around and look at that monitor, those of you that can see it, is it coming up, Pam? I didn't put that one in. I'm sorry. I did not put that picture in. I thought I had a wall, picture of the wall, the archaeological remains there of the walls of Jericho. You can go, you can Google that and you can see that, all right? So what do we learn today? True faith obeys God and His Word even when it seems ridiculous and absurd, right? True faith will obey God and His Word. It will reject the weapons of the world and take up the armor of God and march, march in a fool's army to victory. True faith will focus upon God and see the unseen. It will cultivate a special sense of His presence with us. He's with us, He's with His people, and He refuses to leave us. And we need to refuse to divert our focus from God. And then true faith will declare itself to a fallen world. So how's your faith? How's your faith? Because these things happened as an example for us who still fight the battles of faith and the battles of life. And if we can learn from their example, we too can achieve victory in the Lord and He will cause the walls that we're up against to come tumbling down too. Amen? Amen. Let's pray then we'll sing. Father, thank you for this account in the life of Joshua. Thank you for the way that you spoke to him, the way you encouraged him. And Father, I'm grateful for the way that he expressed his faith to the children of Israel, how he helped to elevate their faith.
Father, may we do the same thing. May we be obedient. May our faith show obedience. And Father, may we focus upon you and know that you're always with us regardless of how bad things seem to be. You're on your throne, you're in control, and you're there with us. So help us to declare that so others can know what faith really looks like. Father, I pray if there are decisions that need to be made today, that those decisions will be made, that you'll tear down the walls, anything that might hinder someone from stepping out to accept your son or to come forward, maybe simply to make some type of declaration of their faith. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a decision that you'd like to make public today, you meet me down front as we stand and sing.